you're able, would you remain standing and turn to Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews chapter 3. I'm going to read verses 12 through 15 of the third chapter of the general epistle to the Hebrews. This is the word of our Lord. Hebrews 3, verse 12. Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God, but exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. While they said, Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. Let us pray together. Father, we pray that your word will be powerfully proclaimed. We pray for clarity of mind and speech. And we pray to your spirit to be using what is said from this holy desk for the conversion of souls and for the sanctification of your people. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. What we do on Sundays is, uh, is a, very, a very special thing. The people of God coming together to worship Father, Son, and Holy Spirit as the body of Christ is a celebration of our union with Christ and with, with, with one another. We're not alone in this world. We are united to the brethren because of our head, the Lord Jesus Christ, and this celebration of our mystical union with Christ and one another is a gospel celebration. Every time we gather together, just by the virtue of being together, worshiping the Father through the Son, by the Spirit, we are proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ that has united us to Him. It is a celebration of our head, the Lord Jesus Christ Himself, as people are willing to commit to each other in worship, in a covenantal way, the body of Christ is strengthened, the gospel is illustrated, and Christ is glorified just by the simple virtue of our being together. And every single Lord's Day provides us with the opportunity to remind ourselves how important life in community is for the followers of Jesus Christ. I was rereading this past couple of weeks a book by Paul Tripp called Dangerous Calling. It's a book uh, to pastors about pastoring. And uh, he, he, he says this in that book. He says, This passage puts before us a critical warning and an essential call that together reinforce the presence and power of remaining sin and the need for the daily ministry of the body of Christ in the life of every member, pastor included, of the body of Christ. As we saw last week, this passage describes sin in terms of wanting to return to Egypt, craving the things that are outside of Christ, craving to go back to some sort of life that uh, has Christ on the margins and, how, and that somehow we still be okay with God, even if we set Christ uh, aside. And the Holy Spirit, through the author of Hebrews, tells us that that's not 
possible. That's a hardening of the heart. And he gives us this very severe, strong warning in verses 12 through 15. And this warning is given to those who profess faith in Jesus Christ. This is not about people out there. It's about us in here. If you look at verse 12, he talks about the brethren. He's issuing this warning to the brethren. If you look at verse 14, he describes the recipients of this warning as those who are partakers of Christ. So don't think this is for somebody else. This is for us. This ability, this propensity, this danger of hardening your heart, my heart towards Jesus Christ is a very real danger for us who believe in Jesus Christ. And this is a very serious warning. If you see there in the beginning of verse 12, it talks about, it says in our, in our version, beware is a very strong word. The ESV says, take care. Or the NIV says, see to it. The old King James says, take heed. These all communicate the seriousness of this warning that's being given to the church of Jesus Christ. And the seriousness of the warning is also seen in the consequence of not listening to it. In verse 15, he tells us that if you don't listen to this warning, your heart will be hardened. And remember how we defined the hardening of a heart last week? The, to, to have your heart hardened is to disobey the voice of God and act in accordance with one's own desire. If we don't listen to this warning, that's what we're going to do. We're going to disregard the voice of God and we're going to act according to our own desires. And when I, when I, see, when I say the voice of God, I'm not talking some sort of mystical, about some sort of mystical experience in which you hear some voice of somebody who's not there. I'm talking about this. This is the voice of God, the Bible. So that's what we need to listen to. Nothing, no impression, no voice out there that contradicts what this book says should be listened to. And that's part of the warning that we receive here today. So this is a critical warning. So let's listen to what the Spirit has to say for us through this passage today. And this warning describes the progressive steps in the hardening of a Christian's heart. He describes what happens in our hearts to the point where eventually we might actually turn away from Christ. Ultimately, that's what the hardening of the heart is. What we read here is a picture of what sin does if undetected, unexposed, and unforsaken. And it begins with me giving way to sin in my life. I'm going to use the first person pronoun just to make singular to make it more personal. But um, this is not just a sermon about me. It's a sermon about me as a human. Which means then it's a sermon about you also as a human follower of Jesus Christ. But it all begins with me giving way to sin in my life. I let things into my life that are outside the boundaries of what God has called me to be and do. Things that God himself calls evil. And because I am a believer... And the heart of stone has been taken out of me and replaced with the heart of flesh. My conscience bothers me when I sin and the Holy Spirit mercifully convicts me. And at that point, when my conscience starts speaking to me and the Holy Spirit is convincing me, when my conscience is activated and bothered, I'm facing with making one of two choices. And that is a crucial moment for us. 
As we are convicted by our conscience, as we are aware that what we are doing is sinful, what we are believing is sinful, what we are saying is sinful, what we're thinking is sinful, we can do one of two things. And life is won or lost at this moment. The first and best choice is to admit that what I have done is wrong and place myself once again under the mercies of Christ, receiving his forgiveness. Or I can erect a system around me of self-atonement, of self-justification that essentially argues for the rightness of what I have done. When I choose to do that, all I am doing is making myself feel good about what God says is not good. And that is a very dangerous place for you and me to be. When I'm doing that, I'm participating in my own spiritual blindness. Every person still living with sin inside is a very skilled self-deceiver. If you know anybody with sin inside, that person is still a very skilled self-deceiver. Do you know what that person is? Yes, you, me, the person next to you, but mostly you and me, not the person next to you. Tripp, Paul Tripp says in that book that I mentioned earlier, he says, So the pastor who has just become angry during an elders meeting will tell himself he wasn't angry. He was just speaking like one of God's prophets. Thus says the Lord. Or... The husband and wife who are gossiping about someone in their small group uh, uh, all the way home from the meeting will tell themselves that it isn't gossip. It is just an extended prayer request. The tight-fisted businessman who struggles to be giving will tell himself that he is just being a good steward of the resources that God has entrusted to him. And Paul, uh, Paul Tripp concludes, We all have a perverse ability to make ourselves feel good about what is in no way good. All of us have that ability. And it is perverse, as Paul Tripp mentions it. When we deceive ourselves and call good what God calls evil, the next step takes place. Look at verse 12. Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief. If we are not aware of our ability to deceive ourselves, if we are not aware of our ability to to create self-justifying systems, if we are not aware of our ability to excuse our sins, the next step comes in. And do you see what that that is there in verse 12? Unbelief. Unbelief captures what we do to cover our sin, and to defend our righteousness. Rather than a simple faith and rest in the accurate diagnosis of God's word and the sufficient grace of Christ, we work to tell ourselves that we are not really, in fact, sinners in need of forgiving mercy. Because we have done it, what we've done is, in fact, not wrong. We, we, we are willing to say that we sin in general. But we are very good at trying to explain particular instances of sin as not being sinful. Let me challenge you with this. If all we can say is that you are a sinner in the abstract, 
but you can't actually name your sins, you may actually, may be, you may actually believe that you don't sin. Because sin happens in real life, not just in the abstract. And when we do that, when we are justifying ourselves, when we are trying to explain why sin is not sin, at least what I do is not sin, and so on, this is really just an act of pride, rebellion, and unbelief. And as a result of our refusing to acknowledge, refusing to be aware that we're capable of doing that. I remember years ago, uh, I mentioned uh, a line from Robert Murray McShane's correspondence with this congregation, which with a parishioner in which he says something like, the, the seed of every sin dwells in my heart. And I uh, uh, said, this is true of all of us. We are all capable of doing the most heinous sins. And this, this attendee was upset and said, I don't think that's true. I don't think I could ever commit mass murder. And I asked her, have you ever, have you ever been angry at more than one person at a time? Isn't anger in your heart the seed of murder? And we have to be aware of that. We are able, we are capable of the most heinous sins out there. Every one of us, even cute little Malachi, is capable of awful things. It's only the grace of God that restrains us from committing that. So never, never arrive at the place where you say, I could never do that. Because it's not true. Is the grace of God that keeps you from doing that. And as this progression continues, because we have not confessed, repented, and sought the forgiving, transforming, empowering, and delivering grace that we need, we have opened ourselves up to more of sin's ugly work in our lives. The third part of this sad progression is departing. So we are not aware. We, we hide our sins. We, we justify our sins. That le- leads to unbelief in our part because that's what we're doing. We're not believing what the Bible says. And that leads to departing. Look again at verse 12. Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. This word here translated departing is related to the word apostasy and means to fall away. What anchors us against the storms of temptation is a firm acceptance of what the Bible says concerning our sins and a firm rest in the grace of Christ. If we leave that, we're going to fall away. When we cut the, that anchor rope uh, at, at uh, camp, we studied providence. And one of the lessons assigned to me, I, I have to check with him. I think he may have been upset with me and that's why he assigned that lesson to me, but it was on the Spanish Armada, the providence of God in the Spanish Armada. And, you, you know, you might say, Spanish Armada? What is that? Exactly. Uh, that's a, but one of the things that the Spanish, one of the reasons why the, Brit, the, the Spanish Armada was defeated is because they had used all their anchors earlier on in the campaign, and when they were struck by a great northern hurricane, the strongest ever recorded, they didn't have enough anchors to solidify, to keep them put where they were, and they were blown off course. Most of, most of the casualties happened there, even without one bullet being fired. That's what happens to us. When we 
cut that rope, the rope of what the Bible says concerning who we are and our sins and so on, we will always end up drifting further from Christ. Our natural tendency is not to drift toward Christ. It's to drift further away from Christ. And where we finally end is with a hardened heart. Look at uh, verse 13. But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. What once bothered us doesn't bother us anymore. What once activated our conscience doesn't seem to activate our conscience anymore. What we knew was outside of God's boundaries and therefore was functionally outside of ours now lives within our boundaries and it doesn't matter to us anymore. And that's what the Apostle Paul calls having a seared conscience. A conscience that no longer is heard. It still may be yelling and screaming, but it's blocked and no, we no longer listen to it. And it's a very, very dangerous place to be. It's a scary place to be. The hard heart is a stony heart. It is a, a going back to being outside of the new covenant because the promise of the new covenant is a new heart. A hard heart's not malleable anymore. It cannot be shaped anymore. It is hard and resistance to change, no longer tender and responsive to the squeeze of the hands of the Spirit. And that's where we're going when we are refusing to be aware of the remnants of sin in our lives, we stop listening to our conscience and we start welcoming into our lives the things that once we knew were against God's word and now they're just part of our common life. At that point, there is evil in our hearts and in the acts of our hands and we're just okay with it. We don't care about it anymore. Let me ask you this. Could there be an any more of a dangerous place for one who professes Christ than this? And the answer is no. There cannot be any more of a dangerous place. And the question that you may be asking in your mind is this. How can this scary step, these scary steps of a hardening, of, a, of, of hardening take place in the life of a Christian? How, does this, how can this happen to a Christian? Well, this can happen because sin is fundamentally Deceptive. Sin is deceptive. Think with me about whom it deceives first. Look again at verse 13. But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Who does sin first deceive? Well, I have no difficulty recognizing your sin. As a spiritual gift, I can figure out all the things you've done wrong and list them. But I can be quite unprepared when my sin is pointed out. Sin deceives 10 out of 10 people. But, but it's not even enough to say that. There's more than needs to be said. It needs to be noted that spiritual blindness is not like physical blindness. When you are physically blind and you know that you're blind, what do you do? 
you try to find ways to uh, to accommodate your blindness, to 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 function in a seen world. There are things that you can compensate for this significant physical deficit, but spiritually blind people are not only blind; they are blind to their blindness. They are not aware. We are often not aware to our own sin, of our own sin. That's why David prays in Psalm, Psalm 139. Remember how it ends? With David's praying that the Lord reveal to him the secret sins of his heart. The spiritual blindness is difficult because we all think that we are not blind. Right? Somebody else may be, but we're not. So the spiritually blind person walks around with the delusion that no one has a more accurate view of himself than he does. I know myself better than anybody else. And there's some truth to that statement, but the Bible teaches that we all have blind spots to ourselves. The spiritually blind person thinks that he is and yet that he sees and yet he is unaware of the powerful, powerfully important things in his heart that he is absolutely he absolutely does not see at all. So people of God, it is because of our blindness to our own sin that the Holy Spirit gives us this essential call to exhort one another. Look again at verse 13. But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. The call is to encourage each other when? Daily. Here is the significant explanation as to why this call is, is essential. The Holy Spirit says, Lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. The blinding ability of sin is so powerful and persuasive that you and I literally need daily intervention. That's what we need. What the writer of Hebrews is crushing with this warning and is any allegiance we might have to the isolated, individualized, me and Jesus Christianity. That doesn't exist. That leads to unbelief. That leads to the hardening of the heart. If you're thinking that it's just about you and Jesus, you're wrong. And you're, lead, you're heading to destruction. The Holy Spirit here is arguing for the essentiality of the ministry of others in the life of every Christian. None of us is wired to live this Christian life alone. None of us is safe living separated and unknown. Each of us, whether pastor or congregant, needs the eyes of others in order to see ourselves with clarity and accuracy. And that's uncomfortable. Now, my natural self, I don't want that. But I need that. And I fail at times when people offer that. But my prayer is that my arrogance will not keep people from keep on coming to me and helping me see the blindness of my own sin. What is this daily ministry of intervention protecting us from? What is this daily having people in our lives helping us see what we're blind to protecting us from? Well, the grace of having our lives interrupted by the insight-giving ministry of others is protecting us from becoming spiritually blinded to the point of hardening of our hearts. Here, the Holy Spirit argues 
that personal spiritual insight is a product of community. That you cannot know yourself apart from others in the body of Jesus Christ. Every Christian needs to hum- to humbly recognize that because of the blinding power of remaining sin, self-examination is a community project. Every Christian needs people in his life in order to see himself with biblical accuracy. If you, ex- if you isolate yourself, you're going to remain in your blindness and your false perception of yourself. So this means that Christians who convince themselves that they are able to live outside of God's regular system of help and protection are in danger of becoming increasingly blind and hard of heart. If you convince yourself that you don't need the body of Christ in your life, the end of that, the logical end of that, is unbelief and forsaking of Christ. And let me tell you something, parents. If you don't love the church, if you don't love the church of Jesus Christ, your children will not love Christ, will not love Jesus. You don't love the church, your children will not love Jesus. Because you cannot love Jesus apart from loving his people. God in his infinite mercy and grace did not leave us to go through this life alone. He brought us into his church so that together we would grow in faith. Each one of us is a gift of grace to the others. Remember 1 Corinthians 12, where every part of the body is necessary for the good of the whole body? To ignore our spiritual need for one another is to set out on the path that ends in hardening, in, in, in a hardened heart toward Jesus Christ. So, Church of Jesus Christ, let us exhort each other in the grace of Jesus Christ as long as it is today. Do not refuse people's presence in your life. As uncomfortable as that might be, that's the means that God has appointed for you and for me to persevere to the end. Getting to the end is a community project. Running the race is not quite a relay because relay is one after the other after the other. It's more like a blob. Right? We're going together. And sometimes people are in the back getting carried and sometimes the people in the front are carrying others. But that's what we do because we need that. And without that, we will not get to the end. So listen to the Spirit. Be aware, brethren. Lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief and departing from the living God, but exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end, while it is said, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the day of rebellion. Let us pray together. Father, we thank you that you have redeemed us in Jesus Christ. We thank you that you've given us a new heart, a heart of of flesh that can be molded by your Spirit. And Father, we know that there is remaining sin in us. 
We pray that we will be aware of that. We pray that we will be aware of it in our own lives. And we pray that you bring others into our lives to, to graciously, lovingly, humbly, but confidently expose that sin in our own lives so that we would not harden our hearts towards you. Keep our hearts soft, malleable in the hands of your spirit. Shape us to be like our Lord. Enable us to grow daily in his grace and his knowledge as others minister to us. Enable us to minister to others as well. For we ask in Jesus' name, amen.